Welcome back to the Boots on the Ground pod alongside Ben Conroy. I am Essex there. Ben, we are coming at you all with a double episode this evening. Going to be talking about not only Wake Forest basketball's win over Elon, but Wake Forest football's loss to Duke. Ben, first we'll get started with basketball. Wake Forest having to come down or come back rather from a, a rather treacherous deficit in the first half, beat Elon 101 to 78, but it did not look good at the the start, Ben. I mean, with, with just over seven minutes remaining in the first half, Wake trailed Elon 36-15, seemed like they were on their way to a back-breaking season-opening loss, and then in the final 27 minutes, complete 180. Wake Forest outscores Elon 86-42 and coasts to a big win a very very wild crazy game Ben yeah I was I was watching the first half and I thought what happened to the team that I just saw play Alabama in person and you know play so well just a few days ago and and beat a very good team there Um, but interestingly enough I think those two games mirrored each other a little bit more than maybe meets the eye you know Wake fell down really big against Alabama early fell down 19 points um, took sort of that first half to get their feet under them, kind of did the same thing against Elon, really. And I think the analyzing the first halves of these games are really important because I think you'll see where Wake is going to struggle um, in games where they don't bring their best stuff. So in the first half, you know, the commonalities that you saw were, you know, lack of discipline on closeouts is a thing. I saw inconsistent pick and roll defense. Um, Elon has some good shooters and, Wake did not do a good enough job of contesting on the perimeter, or if they did, the contests were sloppy. Um, you know, Elon did shoot, you know, very well in the first half. They got hot, but also at some point, collegiate basketball players are going to knock down open shots. And it wasn't like, I didn't think the Elon players were necessarily, you know, drilling contested fadeaways all day. I thought they had good looks and they hit good looks um, for a while. And until Wake figured out, you know, what to do on the board, sort of found their identity defensively and got some of their weapons going on offense. It really looked like they were in trouble. But like you said, Deeks make history as the only Division One basketball game ever to where a team trailed by 20 points at one point and then came back to win that game by 20 points later on. So absolute whipsaw of a performance. Um, that second half was a lot of fun to watch. Um, having guys get into it, you obviously had Cam Hildreth, um, and Hunter Salas and Boopy Miller and Andrew Carr all play very, very well, which is super encouraging um, that, that, you know, Boopy Miller's first time out there in the lineup was able to find some success. That's that's all really encouraging. Um, and overall, just, you know, I think I'm sure Steve Forbes had a lot on his plate to sort of dissect that game in the aftermath, because uh, very rarely in a game like that, do you see such a drastic, you know, poor showing followed almost immediately by maybe some of the team's best basketball. Yeah. After the game, Steve Forbes told us in the media that Wake Forest first half performance was absolutely unacceptable. Uh, That that can't happen for the places that Wake Forest wants to go this season. And he, and he said no disrespect to Elon, but against a team like Elon, they were kind of afforded that opportunity. When you go play Georgia Florida Rutgers in non-con and then have a a conference like the ACC you can't do that and so he 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 was very critical of his own team uh I think the players felt it a lot too they said that they they had to really look at themselves in the mirror a little bit after that first half and, and question what they were doing there were some leadership opportunities that you know some guys stepped up in namely Cam Hildreth who we'll we'll get into in a little bit but that first half was just everything was going right for Elon and and nothing could go right for Wake Forest. Wake Forest wasn't hitting their shots. Elon in the first half shot 64% from the field, nine of 14 from behind the three point line. Wake Forest defense wasn't really good. And they were really to me, glaringly poor on the boards. And then in the second half, everything changed. I mean, Elon stopped being, you know, unconscious shooting the ball. They, they went one of nine from the three point line after going nine of 14 in the first Uh, Wake Forest, you know, picked it up offensively. They, they played well offensively in the first half. Wake Forest did well on offense, but they did even better in the second half. And then for me, the biggest thing was Wake Forest out rebounded Elon 24 to eight in the second half. 
and seven of those rebounds were on the offensive boards. So Wake Forest, not only did they clean up their defense, obviously, and I think some of that was Elon coming back down to earth, they continued their offensive output, and then they got dirt, not dirty, but grimy in the paint. They they did the kind of things that that teams need to do, especially the teams that Wake Forest is going to play. You got to attack the boards. So I think as poor as that first half was, I think Wake Forest learned some things about themselves, and and I think they could see just how well you can perform against lesser competition and, and try and take that on to better competition. Now, the, the last thing I'll say before we get into specific players, Ben, is as much as I say that it was a good learning experience for Wake, I asked Steve Forbes that exact question after the game. I asked him, you know, is it good? This may be a little bit of an extreme version of it, but was it good for your team to go through an experience like this before you play better competition? His answer, absolutely not, which surprised me. He said that at the end of the day, an experience playing that poorly and that so far against our values as a team is completely unacceptable and you can't take it and try and flip it into a positive. So he said, that's not how we, you know, not how Wake Forest practices. It's not how they practiced after Alabama. He said that was some of the best practices that he's ever had as a coach here at Wake Forest. Uh, And really just, he classified it as that, that is not Wake Forest basketball. That's not gritty, grimy, tough together. It's completely unacceptable and wash this game away. And that there's not much that you can take from that first half to be positive about. So I thought it was a very interesting outlook Post game from Steve Forbes, I think it rubbed off on some of the players. I think the players also, as I said, looked introspectively about how they played in the first half. And while I do think they'll be better for it, I think how they are reacting to how they played in the first half, that they are not trying to spin it and and turn it into something better. The fact that they are recognizing just how bad it was is emblematic of the the makeup of this team and how they kind of view themselves that they view themselves as a good basketball team. And I think that that tells you something about where they want to go this year. So that in terms of recapping, just how the game went from a full team perspective, bad got a whole lot better. And I think we learned a lot about the team in the process. Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest takeaway for me from this game is, um, you know, like what, what happens to Wake Forest if, you know, like the next game they go on the road and play at Georgia, what happens when you play in an environment where it's not possible to just go completely nuclear like that in the second half? What happens when that horrifically slow start is too much to overcome? And that's what we saw a ton last year with this Wake Forest team. They would either get off to a slow start or play great on offense, but just give up so many points, you know, on the other end that it wouldn't matter. And you almost for a while saw that same outcome today. Obviously great that they figured out a way to, you know, to overcome that and really shut Elon down in the second half. But like Steve Forbes said, no disrespect to Elon, the the competition the Wake Forest is facing, you know, in the next five, six games is really going to take a major jump upwards. So I think they've got, they know exactly how they need to adjust. I think they, did a great job of adjusting in game, which is encouraging that they could, you know, that they were able to flip the script like that. But realistically, you know, that's not always going to be possible. And if Wake goes out there and plays against a better team with that level of, you know, sloppiness and lack of discipline and, and so many things like that, you know, they might they might end up being in trouble for for more of the game. Um, but you know, that's all that's all down the road. Um, obviously so much to be encouraged about from that second half and how a bunch of specific guys play. So with that, let's get into some of the specific player performances from this game. Obviously Cam Hildreth was outstanding again. Um, He is just playing such an exciting and effective brand of basketball right now. It's really hard not to watch it and be excited about. He's playing, he's commanding the offense. He's playing under control. Um, Very efficient, you know, 33 points on 13 of 18 shooting. Um, I thought very disciplined in his shot selection for the most part, great finishing around the rim. Um, it was just, it's, it's to me, it's just such a clear sign of growth from Cam Hildreth. I thought he took a massive leap last year in the quality of basketball that he was able to play and the way that he was able to contribute. But clearly, I mean, the, the two games I've watched him play, he's essentially controlled the entire game start to finish for Wake Forest. The offense right now is running through him and Hunter Salas a lot through 
Cam Hildreth on the score sheet, which wasn't made necessarily what was to be expected going into this year. So I think, you know, a fun development and encouraging development to see out of, you know, one of the team's most veteran, you know, savvy players and, and one of the captains too. Yeah, Ben, the growth arc of Cam Hildreth and his time with Wake Forest basketball it is one of my favorite things that I've been able to see covering the Deeks. I mean, from a freshman being recruited by Steve Forbes to what he is now as a junior, not only, you know, a leader in, in the stat sheet now and a leader on the offense and on the defense, but a true leader of the team as a captain is just incredible. And you mentioned the points. I mean, 33 points, a career high, 13 of 18 shooting, as you said, but I, some of the other stats really stood out to me. I mean, Cam, I think he's become a more versatile offensive player, right? Like he still has that dribble drive. He's got a lot of the Euro step, which we saw a few times, really a threat driving the ball offensively, which I think is huge. But one thing I wanted to note is the three pointers. Cam historically has not been a three point shooter in the slightest. I mean, barely takes any attempts in a game. Doesn't hit them for sure when he takes them. And against Elon took five, three point shots. So now he's going to make opposing defenses have to prepare for that. They're going to have to think about Cam Hildreth shooting the three pointers, pulling up and shooting a deep ball when previously he was really just a driver and he was either going to drive and shoot the ball or he was going to kick. Now he's got a whole nother part of his offensive game plan. Also the rebounding six rebounds. So he's crashing the boards a lot five assists. He's still a ball distributor, not fully putting it on his shoulders offensively, a block and two steals. What that tells me, Ben, is that Cam Hildreth is playing a complete basketball game right now. He's not just an offensive guy. He's not just a defensive stud. He is the full guard that you want on the court at all times. And that's, I mean, that's what Cam is right now. He He's offense. He's defense. He's gritty. He's playing just a complete game. And so I think that's that's huge. I mean, Andrew Carr and Boopy Miller both after the game talked about his leadership. You feel like he's taking the reins of the team, taking the reins of the offense and the defense. I cannot say more. I, I can't say enough good things, rather, about what Cam Hildreth is doing for Wake basketball. And I, I'm kicking myself in the backside for not giving him a preseason all-ACC vote because I feel like if he continues down this the path that he he's creating for himself right now, he is going to be one of the most lethal guards in all of the conference. I agree. I mean, it's hard to argue that with what we've seen, you know, from the, from the first two games, he's averaging, he's scored what 71 points in two games, averaging 35 and a half a game. I mean, you know, tough to predict whether that, that level of scoring output will continue, but right now, like you said, I think you put it best. Cam Hildreth has to be out on the court for this team. He is, you know, while Hunter Salas is playing some really good basketball, but Cam Hildreth is controlling these games and is the heartbeat of this Wake Forest team right now, which I think Steve Forbes probably that was part of the rationale. And, you know, giving Cam Hildreth that captain's nod was he's gonna, he's a guy that, you know, has been busting his ass all summer to get better. You can clearly see it in, like I said, I think his handle on the ball looks a lot tighter. I think he's playing smarter basketball. He's got a better handle. He One of the things he did so often last year um, that was a problem, he didn't, I wouldn't say so often, but when he struggled, he would, like you said, he'd get down too deep under the basket, kind of get tunnel vision a little bit, and then, you know, take a contested or a bad shot. That isn't as much what we're seeing anymore. You're not seeing as much pounding the rock late in the shot clock. He's decisive. He's making moves at the hoop. He's going up strong with the confidence of either, hey, I can get fouled and get to the line, or I can finish, or I can finish through contact and, you know, get a chance for a three-point play. Um, so yeah, very exciting from Cam Hildreth. I think everything that you want to see out of your veteran player and moving forward, you know, a guy that for this team to succeed, I think is going to continue have to, to have to play at a high level, you know, throughout this season. Um, you know, in terms of other returning players, we had Andrew Carr with a very strong performance. I liked so much of what I saw out of Andrew Carr. Um, the physicality is on a different level this year. I think he's finishing much stronger around the rim. Um, but again, what I look at from him is those four blocks. Um, I think that rim protecting element is something we saw in the Bama game, and it's not something we saw like out in droves last year. But he is rising up. He's contesting shots, you know, at the point of attack, not letting anything get by him easy, which is exactly what you need from Andrew Carr. That was 
clearly the 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 area of his game where he could take a step up and go to the next level. And you can see him starting to take that. That's really, really encouraging. Yeah, that was such an, an elite performance. I think that was the Andrew Carr that Steve Forbes envisioned when he recruit, recruited him through the transfer portal from Delaware. You mentioned the blocks. I mean, nine boards, got four offensive rebounds, also 10 of 11 from the free throw line. So he was drawing a lot of and one opportunities and just hitting them. But in those critical moments, when you can send a guy up to the line that you trust at the free throw line, that's huge. I mean, on the night, Wake Forest went 19 of 21 from the free throw line. I forgot to mention that. That is huge down the stretch when you're playing in those close games. Just exceptional. One of the, I mean, Andrew Cardin's start super well. I mean, four of his 24 points came in the first half. He had 20 in the second but he really found his game in the second half. And a lot of that came at the five, which we'll talk about later, but so much to be excited about in in Andrew's play. I think he's really grown into himself. Part of that, I think is some of the off season stuff. He put on a lot of weight. Also, he's not hurt anymore. I mean, he played almost all of the back half of last year with what I'd say like one arm. So there, there are some other circumstances that that have led into this new Andrew Carr that we're seeing, but overall, just incredibly impressive performance. Him and Cam Hildreth as a tandem, as captains, both performing at extremely high levels and leading Wake Forest in a lot of those metrics. That, that I think, tells you a lot. Hunter Salas also at the guard end. We saw him perform really well against the in the in the Alabama exhibition, but in his first game for Wake Forest, I thought an, a, another really good performance. 7 of 14 from the field, drilled 3 of 7 from the three-point line. He was injured. Steve Forbes said after the game that for nearly the entire game, he was playing on a sprained ankle. So take that with a grain of salt. But during the times that he did play, Ben, I thought he was super dominant on the offensive side, and then he was exactly what we thought he would be defensively. He's just a grimy player on the defensive side of the ball. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, Hunter Sellis didn't start off this game on a super hot note on offense. He missed a couple threes early. Um, but like you said, you know, you got to have him out there because of what he can do and just the havoc that he can wreak on the defensive end. Such a long wingspan um, plays clearly with a lot of confidence on the defensive end. He knows that that is a huge part of his role in this team is to be that elite perimeter defender that maybe Wake Forest has was sort of lacking at times last year. Um, but I really like how he rebounded offensively as well. You know, obviously to, to play hurt through that entire game, just understanding that he's got to be out there in order for this team to really be at their best is very admirable, I think. And that shows a lot about his toughness and resilience. Um, another thing, just from a, you know, a plus minus standpoint, the he, so Hunter Salas was a plus 17. Cam Hildreth was a plus 29. Andrew Carr, or sorry, Cam Hildreth was a plus 25. Andrew Carr was a plus 29. So from that trio, who are, you know, your three three out of your four primary offensive weapons, you know, to have that level of, you know, positive impact when you're out there on, on the court, very encouraging. And then Booby Miller was a plus 11, so no slouch himself. Um, I think Hunter Salas's you know, performance is encouraging in a lot of ways. I think that there's a lot of room for him to grow into his role in this offense as well. I really love, you know, another... For a second consecutive game, he goes three of seven from um, or he drills three three pointers, you know, for the second game in a row, shooting the ball with a lot of confidence from beyond the arc. Um, I like that he's stepping up and taking some contested ish three point shots. He's got long arms. He can shoot over people. That, I think, to me, is a good shot within the flow of this offense, as long as it's in rhythm. And I think he's recognizing that. And then outside of that, obviously, just great at getting into spots in the intermediate range, um, you know, making huge impact on the game on the defensive end and really, really complimenting what Cam Hildreth is doing on offense very well. I think those two are feeding off each other very well. Um, you know, they've combined for a ridiculous amount of points through the fir- their first two games together, which obviously is very encouraging. But um, yeah, I think Hunter Salas is going to grow into the best version of himself on the Wake Forest team this year. And talk about three-pointers, Ben. He only made one on the night, but man, it, it was probably the craziest. Boopy Miller with a Steph Curry-esque three midway through the second half. That was crazy. Started off a little slow, Boopy did. It, it was his first game with Wake Forest, he, especially since Boopy did not play in the Alabama exhibition. So truly his first game really getting it going with Wake Forest. 
And st- so started off a little bit slow. He mentioned that in the post game that he wasn't really as physical on defense as he wanted to be and picked that up in the second half. And then scoring wise, I think he picked things up in the second half as well. Finished the game seven to 13 from the field. He had five rebounds three or three, only three turnovers, only maybe the operative word there still a, a good bit, but two steals to make up for it on the, the defensive end really started to get into it defensively was aggressive. I mean, Wake Forest guards defensively have all been really strong. When you look at cam Hunter and Boopy, all very good defensive guards, but also threats offensively the NCAA, you win games with guards. So I think you got to take something out of that, but Something that I was not as pleased with, we've talked pretty glowingly about Cam, Andrew, Hunter, and Boopy, was the bigs. Matthew Marsh and Zach Keller against Elon, there's going to be pretty much almost all the games remaining on their schedule are going to be tougher. And it to me, it felt like Matthew Marsh and Zach Keller were both overmatched. Zach Keller only played three minutes. Matthew Marsh played a total of 14 It just did not feel to me like they were where they needed to be. They weren't good on the boards. And I think a lot, that was a lot of Wake Forest issues in the first half were coming from the boards. So Matthew Marsh gave up some opportunities on the board. Steve Forbes after the game said it just wasn't really Matt's night. And one of the things I noticed, Ben, after the game, I also asked Steve Forbes about it. This is what preempted him saying it wasn't Matthew's night was that against Elon in the second half, at the 17 minute mark in the second half, Steve Forbes pulled Matthew Marsh from the game. He did not go back in for the final 17 minutes of the game. The, those 17 critical minutes when Wake Forest really made their run and took over the game and, and came back and won it. Matthew Marsh was not on the court at the five was Andrew Carr. Wake Forest went with a small lineup and that's where they found their success. Now they're not going to be able to do that against everybody, but I think it is telling that, Andrew Carr at the five was more effective than a much bigger, much supposedly should be much more physical Matthew Marsh. And so I think that was a little bit concerning. I don't want to dog too much on Matthew Marsh. It's just one game. He has a lot of room to grow for this season. He's still a relatively young kind of green player for Wake Forest. There's a lot of room to build, but it just, it it really was for me a, a massive concern feeling like against a team like Elon, your, your bigs are, are just overmatched in the game. A really discouraging start for Wake Forest big men. I thought, um, you know, one of the stats I pointed to on social media after this game was that Wake only had five players, you know, out of their active roster score. So it was Andrew Carr, Boopy Miller, Cameron Hildreth, Hunter Salas, and Parker Fredrickson were the only players to score in the game. And that's okay against maybe a team like Elon, but at some point there's going to be a night where Cam Hildreth and Hunter Salas and Booby Miller may be struggling to put the ball in the hoop. You know, maybe they're just having an off shooting night, whatever it might be. At that point, you will need some production out of your big men. And, you know, all is not lost right now. Obviously the season is still young. It's been one game. Um, so the offensive struggles are something to keep an eye on as well. But I thought Matthew Marsh also really struggled in pick and roll defense and shout out to Christian O'Jackson did a nice little film review on this after the game that I took a look at and saw he was right. Matthew Marsh really struggled in the pick and roll played some, some pretty soft drop coverage that early in the game, especially Elon shooters were really taken advantage of able to get, you know, open uncontested mid range jump shots. And, you know, at some point, you know, whatever the quality of the team Elon is, you know, collegiate basketball players are going to hit open shots. And that's what was happening in the first half was, you know, they, they found a mismatch. They took advantage of it and hit a lot of open shots as a result. Um, So, you know, not, not a whole lot to hang your hat on right now for Matthew Marsh on either end. Unfortunately, Um, I would love to see him get back to the things that he does well, maybe just get an easy bucket early on, catch a lob, you know, grind out a scrappy play, get an offensive board, you know, just do something early on in the game to get yourself going. Cause it seems like right now he's just not playing with a ton of confidence. And I understand that that's hard in an offense where the ball flows through the guards so much, but I think, you know, for this team to succeed, we'll, we'll get into this a little bit later. I think Matthew Marsh needs to play at a higher level and Zach Keller need to needs to play at a higher level. Um, still time to adjust and figure things out. But like you said, yeah, just not, you know, the, the true big men just did not have their best stuff. Yeah. So you mentioned, of the guys who who scored points, one of them being Parker Fredrickson, two of the freshmen, two of the 
the three freshmen for Steve Forbes played legitimate minutes against Elon Parker played a lot of minutes. He, he scored eight points off the bench. The only bench points that wake Forbes score scored all night. Uh, and, and Marcus Marion it kind of tying into that Matthew Marsh, Zach Keller aspect, having Andrew Carr at the five Marcus Marion was a huge factor at the four. He played a lot, a lot of basketball, especially in the second half, finishing with 29 minutes. I mean, that that's just incredible for a freshman in, in their first game. Didn't score any points on the night, but Steve Forbes w- was very complimentary of his play. He was really, really good on defense. He was also good on the boards a, a lot, get, getting some of those big time plays. But one of the things that Steve Forbes said after the game was in 28 minutes, he was plus 26. He being Marcus Marion, he makes winning plays. He's a really good defender. This is called winning. So really bright words coming from a head coach about a a guy playing in his first game. I thought both Marcus Marion and Parker Fredrickson played really, really well. I think they're both going to see roles in this Wake Forest basketball team this year. Parker, I mean, is is a three point specialist. He, He has got some really good shot making ability. I think he's also got that ability on defense as well, where he can kind of get nitty gritty with it a little bit, but I was so psyched with how Marcus Marion played at the four. I thought it was really exceptional basketball, especially when it's it's good basketball that doesn't always, you know, it's not so stat driven where it's the points or, or the rebounds or what have you. It was just plain good basketball. So I think that's a really big bright spot on that first night for Wake Forest is that the, the freshman did not cower under the lights. No, not at all. And yeah, Marcus Marion, especially, um, I think one of the things Steve Forbes looks for a lot and for guys to be able to get minutes is can you be effective without the ball in your hands, every possession. And for Marcus Marion, that answer was unequivocally. Yes. Um, you know, a plus 26 in, in 28 minutes. That's uh, he played in starters minutes in his first collegiate basketball game. That is no joke right there. Like you said, you know, didn't get it going from the field, went over two, didn't really let that bother him, still grabbed six rebounds. And like Steve Forbes said, just made a lot of winning plays. You know, from a size standpoint, he looks like he belongs out there. He's, you know, got the right size to be a good ACC basketball player. Um, and yeah, was was very content and comfortable making an impact on the game while letting the game flow naturally through, you know, the guards and the guys who had the hot hand, which I think is a super encouraging um super encouraging you know takeaway from this game is that he seemed to really do a good job of letting the game come to him which is something that I think a lot of freshmen can struggle with sometimes is you know how do I fit into the offense do I need to be shooting as soon as I get the ball do I need to be looking for my shot more Marcus Marion was very comfortable just saying you know you guys shoulder the bird on the offensive end I will contribute on defense I will crash the boards I will you know make the right passes make the easy play um and same with Parker Fredrickson I thought I, I loved how Parker Fredrickson played, had a, had a good night from the field, hit a couple of big threes. Um, also got a ton of burn, you know, played 24 minutes in this game. So yeah, I think very early on, we're seeing that these freshmen are going to, to play and play a lot and play in meaningful moments. Moving on, Ben, we've talked about the big men. We talked about Andrew Carr at the five. We talked about the impact of Marcus Marion at the four because of Andrew Carr being at the five. A lot of that, the reason we have to have those conversations is because something that Steve Forbes revealed in the post-game press conference after the win over Elon. And that is the fact that Efton Reed's two-time transfer waiver was initially denied by the NCAA. That process is now into appeals and one would think we will soon find out the the final decision on whether Efton Reed can play for Wake Forest this season. It's been a long road to get to even this moment uh, since Efton Reed committed to Wake Forest over the summer. Actually, I believe it was all the way back in the spring, if I recall correctly. It's been a long road to get to this point, and the road is not just quite finished yet. There, you know, Wake Forest has said they believe they have a strong case. We as even as media, but as fans, what have you, anyone who is not really involved is not privy to the details of that case. So it'll be really interesting to see how that does on appeals. But regardless, Ben, I just so disappointing to know that, uh, that this is happening for me. I it's, it's frustrating. I can, I can understand why the NCAA is trying to implement these rules. I think it's, it's a noble cause, but the, the implementation is not is just not gone right. I mean, 
the the certain parameters that they've put forth to give the the waiver you know talking about things like mental health and and situations other situations and the ncaa is, is just seemingly screwed up i mean the tez walker situation was one thing uh there was that texas tech basketball player who who left for for very strong reasons yet was still denied by the ncaa also now on appeals I mean, the list goes on and on, and I'm sure Efton Reed, as Steve Forbes said, has a strong case, and they're just all getting denied over and over again, and it's just really frustrating. Yeah, so you know this this result comes out, and obviously incredibly disappointing for um, the Wake Forest team, staff, fan base, but like you mentioned, not totally unexpected. Um, the general consensus was was sort of that this was the way that things were shifting, with like you said, other similar rulings and you know like you just mentioned it seems like this is the point where the ncaa is just saying these are the new rules now no matter how compelling your exception might be and i think that there are compelling exceptions very compelling exceptions efton reeds being one of them the ncaa is just putting their foot down and saying you know we're not not going to allow this to happen anymore and it is really unfortunate for all the kids who deserve another chance to transfer and are getting caught in the sort of the crossfire of this weird like gray area time in the NCAA. So very, very disappointing. Um, Wake Forest. And now, you know, got to adjust. I feel Steve Forbes and co knew that this was something that might happen. Um, They've shown that they can play some good basketball without Efton Reed, obviously no telling what the appeals process holds. Um, They could get Efton back. They could. It's possible. It's I mean, possible. I, I would say I would say not super likely at this point yeah, is I, my I guess. I don't feel very strongly. I mean, Steve said that they kind of, as you said, Ben, like that most of these cases are are being denied at the first go and then having to go to appeals. Wake Forest supposedly feels good about where they stand in this appeals process. All, as I said, we just don't know. We don't know the whole the whole fact, the whole facts. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of believe it when I see it. Uh. But hey, maybe they get Efton and that would be a huge boon to this team. I've talked about in previous podcasts. Maybe they don't. And as you were kind of getting into there, Ben, uh, then they're going to have to figure it out. Yeah, um, obviously, you know, won't won't try to speculate what the outcomes of these things are. Just nobody truly ever knows until you hear something official. But yeah, I mean, Wake Forest has to adjust now for the time being. Um, you know, that's why the play of, you know, Matthew Marsh and Zach Keller and your true big men becomes even more important now is because Efton Reed, the guy you brought in to hopefully be your, you know, your, you know, your five-star caliber talent at that position, you know, playing with the, you know, coming from a, obviously an incredibly storied and, you know, powerhouse Gonzaga program that um, now is not going to be, a, you know, a part of your operation, you know, at least for the time being. So, you know, Wake Forest going with the small ball lineup has showed a lot of promise. Um, that has been very effective so far. But even so, you know, Matthew Marsh and Zach Keller are going to fi- have to find a way to contribute um, meaningful minutes to this team. I just think the long-term well-being of the team, um, that's going to be an important piece of it is how well those guys can can figure it out. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of time to get stuff underway. That's what... It's a lot of the, the purpose of, you know, non-conference play. Um, hopefully they, you know, knocked some of the rust out of their system and are still trying to learn their way in sort of this this new look Wake Forest offense. But um, the, the landscape of, of the team definitely shifts moving forward with with this initial news. Um, yeah, obviously, you know, we've we've said it a bunch of times, no, no telling what could happen down the road. But for now, Wake Forest at least has some clarity on what, you know, where they stand a little bit. Um, Though unfortunately, that that clarity is the last thing that they wanted to hear. Yeah, exactly. Talking about the future road going forward, transitioning to to what lies ahead for Wake Forest this Friday. Wake Forest making the trip down to Athens, Georgia, to play the Georgia Bulldogs in a much anticipated matchup. It's going to be a big net game, big Ken Palm game. Georgia pretty well rated in the metrics, uh, but that first game for the Bulldogs did not go so hot. They played out in Las Vegas uh, in front of not very many fans, unfortunately. And, and I mean, it is Las Vegas. It's it's a far ways away from Athens, Georgia, but lost to the Oregon Ducks 82-71. And for as bad as that first half was for Wake Forest against Elon, I have to say it was it it felt like 
I was watching that game, it, it was even worse for Georgia. Shot 27% from the field in the first half, only got it up to 40% in the second. On the free throw line, they they finished the game 17 to 30. In comparison to Wake Forest, that was nearly perfect from the charity stripe. Georgia was barely cracking 50%, which is just incredibly disappointing for a basketball team. I mean, they could make almost the entire difference of the game. They actually could make up the difference of the game from the free throw line. So that's the last thing you want to hear. 16 turnovers compared to 11 assists. So they were turning the ball over a lot, just all in all, not, not very good. They had a lot of bench players going uh, blue cane being one of them, probably putting together one of the better performances of the night. For the Bulldogs, 5 of 11 from the field, 12 points. Uh, but uh, Jabri Abdur-Rahim, the, the leading point getter for the Bulldogs, 18 points. Uh, a lot of those coming from the free throw line, 9 of 12 from the line. He was also 50% from deep, 3 of 6. And then another name that, that stands out to me, Ben, not necessarily for, for what they did on the, on the court statistically, not a very good night, but Russell Chewa. Uh, my apologies if I if I'm mispronouncing the last name there, but nine boards. And one of the things that I, I really want to note for in, in terms of the, the game that Wake Forest has to play against the Bulldogs on Friday. So Chewa got 20 minutes. He was a starter. And this is where it's going to fall into a little bit what Wake Forest could do against Elon and can't necessarily do against Georgia. Chewa is a seven foot center. So I, I'm a huge proponent of the small ball offense. I'm a huge proponent of Andrew Carr as a player and him at, at the five. I don't, I, I'm not super bullish on that working against Georgia when you have a seven foot center. Now they only played 20 minutes of the game. So maybe you can integrate that, that small ball lineup a little bit, but I think for the, as much as the, the Matthew Marsh performance wasn't where you wanted it to be. I think you got to have a size factor like Matthew Marsh on the court to to counteract what Georgia has with a seven foot center so I think that's something interesting to take away from the game Georgia not not good against Oregon to start off the season but it, it is early things can change very very quickly Wake's going to go into a pretty wild environment uh, they have game day in Athens for the game the next day between Ole Miss and Georgia football. So a big weekend for Georgia sports. I, I'm expecting I'm going to be down there for the game. I'm expecting it to be a pretty wild, uh, wild game, wild environment, but Georgia did not look good. So we'll have to see how they look on Friday. Yeah. You know, this, this Mike white team um, is a pretty new look squad. He went pretty heavy in the, in the transfer portal reloaded with a lot of talent from kind of all over. So natural with a team like that, that there's going to be some growing pains. And I think that's, you know, kind of what you saw in this first game against Oregon. It, it, you know, the did not look good in that first half, you know, putting up 30 points and shooting. What did you say it was, you know, under, under 30% from the field. Yeah. 27%. Not, not, not good. Um, And it did seem like they figured it out in the second half a little bit, played Oregon, played Oregon pretty much even, but you know, that's what happens sometimes when you get off to those slow starts, it's just, they are too big to overcome. And, Oregon didn't do anything, you know, special or outstanding in the second half. But yeah, the, you know, the, the problem that this Georgia team poses is something that I just finished talking about is, you know, they have a seven foot center who's running 20 minutes a night, you know, Matthew Marsh and Zach Keller or any combination of the two are going to have to give meaningful minutes in this game. I think for Wake Forest to, to come in there and, get the result that they want. They're going to have to, you know, figure out a way to, to play well and at least hold their own on the glass on the defensive end. So there is a clear adjustment that needs to be made. I think if Matthew Marsh comes out and, you know, struggles the way that he did against Elon, then Wake Forest again presents a pretty clear, you know, weakness on, on defense and on the glass that this Georgia team will figure out a way to take advantage of. Mike White is a good coach. Um, They played Wake competitively last year in Winston-Salem. Um, I think this this will be a good game and a really good test for this for this Wake Forest team. But um, especially, like you said, in a what should be a hostile road environment in Athens on a Friday night, huge sports weekend there, expecting a big crowd um, for some of these Wake Forest freshmen. This is going to be this is going to be there, you know, out of the frying pan into the fire. You got that first regular season collegiate action out of the way in front of a home crowd. Um, knock the rust off. Now you go play an SEC opponent on the road, night game, 
great environment, great opportunity um, is how they should be treating it. But um, one that I'm, I'm very curious to see how Wake Forest comes out and performs, because I do think if they get out to a similar slow start against like they did against Elon, I think they might be in a little bit of trouble. I think this Georgia team is going to end up being obviously a much higher quality team than Elon and, you know, has some guys that could potentially end up really hurting Wake Forest. So this is Wake Forest sort of had their had their game to, you know, get out of jail after getting off to, to a poor start. I don't think, I think the margin for error is much slimmer on this, on this Friday night game. So uh, I think Steve Forbes is going to have to have his guys ready to go. Yeah. Um, Georgia is a much better basketball team seemingly than Elon. It's going to be a much, much tougher competition. And, and as unfortunate as in my mind, I think it's unfortunate as it is, you know, Wake Forest second game of the season. These are the games that matter in March. These are the kind of games that can get you into the tournament and keep you out. Uh, so it, it's a big game for for Wake Forest. And, and you mentioned kind of the things that they need to do, Ben. So let's go ahead, get into some keys to the game. You mentioned, you know, starting out fast. I think that's similar to kind of the line I was going to take with Wake Forest. You can't have that start you had against Elon. Simply, as I mentioned that Steve Forbes said after the game, it's unacceptable. It's not what they want. Um, So you can't be doing that against Georgia. You definitely got to play a full 40 minutes to beat an SEC team like this. Uh, So that's something that I think Wake Forest is going to need to focus on is really coming out with a lot of fire. And it's okay if maybe the shots aren't there early, but if if the shots aren't there, then the defense has got to be there. And so if Wake Forest can put together – that defense that we saw in the second half and play a full 40 minutes like that, that's going to be really strong. And then the offense for the most part was there for a full 40 minutes. So you combine those two things, you've got a really solid basketball game going. So it's, it's in games like this, you can't those, what Steve Forbes talks about a lot is those middle four. So the end, the final four of the first half and the first four of the second, those were really big for Wake Forest against Elon to get back into the game and then completely slam their way into the lead to open up the second. But that'll only take you so far. I think for for a game like this, you got to play a full 40 minutes. Totally. Yeah. And I will, that's a good segue into my, um, into my key to the game, which is just play like you belong. Um, You know, I think that crowd is going to be a factor in this game. I think that, early on, maybe a little bit, I could foresee wake, like you said, maybe not getting off to a lightning fast offensive start. I think it's certainly, you know, they shot really well in the first half against Elon. I think that it's possible that they maybe struggle a little bit, but those are the times when it becomes important where you got to get that stop. The defense has got to be there. You got to crash the boards, find ways to get easy buckets, take the crowd out of it. Don't let Georgia go on, you know, a big run early on, you know, an eight, eight Oh run, 10 Oh run, get the crowd really into it. Cause then before you know it, you're playing on your heels the whole game and it becomes a lot more difficult on the road to, to get there, you know, to get your mojo going. So play like you belong, especially for the young guys um, and the new guys in the program, you know, Hunter Salas, you know, first ACC road game. I, I think he will rise to the occasion. I'm, I'm pretty confident in that, but especially for guys like Parker Fredrickson, and Marcus Marion, who got a ton of burn in that Elon game, are I would assume are going to have a lot expected of them in this game as well. So just play big, play confident, play like you belong. Don't change the way that you play the game. Don't change the shots that you're taking. Shoot it confidently. Um, you know, play with energy, I think is going to be a big thing. I think if if Wake Forest comes out of the gate and they play flat on defense and they are giving things up on defense the way that they were against Elon, I think it's going to be a lot harder for them to compete and you know leave Athens with a win so play big play like you belong um you know those all the things that Steve Forbes preaches do the little things right you know grit gritty grimy tough together I think that's especially important for this game yeah I couldn't agree with you more Ben I was actually thinking the same exact thing the Steve Forbes maxims gritty grimy tough together this team in games like this they have got to fight fight like they did to get back into the Elon game they've got to fight so with that being said, I'm not going to have that expectation that, you know, how we do for football where you've got the final score. So I'm calling it a, a quasi prediction. So we'll say who wins and by how much, Ben, I'll let you go ahead first. Yeah, I, um, I'm going to give this Wake Forest team the benefit of the doubt for right now. I think that, I think that in both of their games, they have shown that they have the ability to adjust on the fly 
and make things happen in game and against Alabama in a really quality opponent with not all of their weapons available. So I think that I think they will get off to a manageable start. It might be a tad slow, but it won't be as detrimental as it was against Elon. So I, I like wake to, I like for this game to be close for most of the first half. Um, and then I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a closely contested game. I like wake forest winning by eight on the road. The way you were talking, Ben, I really thought you were going to have my number on the number. So I, I'm right there with you. Uh, I, I, I think it is, maybe not a slow start, but I think it is going to be, I think it's going to take a little bit for Wake Forest to get themselves into the game. And and it's early. It, it You know, they're still trying to find their footing. So is Georgia. So a lot of this, it's, it's tough to say. I mean, I've seen Wake Forest play in a game situation twice this season, uh, Alabama and Elon. I've seen Georgia play on television once against Oregon. So it's really hard to predict, scout, understand these teams to to the fullest level, but I, I'm the same way. I think it's going to be a close game throughout. I think it's going to be a, a battle in, in a way territory in, in SEC country. But I, 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 like you said, I'm going to give Wake Forest the benefit of the doubt. I think they showed a lot in that game against Elon. I think they showed just how good of an offensive team they can be and just how solid of a defensive team they are. So I'm going to, I'm going to take Wake Forest by seven, but like you said, close ball game. So I, but I, 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 I do see Wake Forest coming out of this one with a win. I, I, Georgia's good, but not only do I think this is a game that Wake Forest wins, but I think this is a game they've got to go win. They, yeah, this is, I think this feels like one they got to go get. I agree. I think Wake Forest is going to maybe end up being a, a little better offensive team than Georgia. Um, it seems like Georgia still has some things to figure out with a bunch of new pieces meshing together. Obviously, that's only you know judging off one game, very small sample size, but. The way that Wake is clicking offensively right now is just super impressive to me. And I think they um, find their stride and they, they know how, I think they have a, a good understanding of how their offense flows already. And I think it's going to be hard to contain Cam Hildreth if he keeps playing with the amount of confidence that um, that he's been playing with. So my prediction in terms of complexion of this game, I think it'll be, I think it'll be close. And then I think Wake is going to maybe get into a little bit of free throw battle at the end where they're holding, you know, kind of a slight lead and then going to have to, to make some foul shots down the end to put it on ice, but I, I think they'll do it. I think they'll get it done. And I agree. I think this is a super important game that they have to go win um, in order for them to consider their non-conference slate a success heading into conference play. Before we move on to football, one last thing, this game feels eerily alike to the Wisconsin game last year for Wake Forest away game, non-con big name opponent, big name metric opponent, and Wake Forest won. It was a close game, and they pulled it out. So I've got that feeling. I've got that feeling, and I'll be heading down to Athens on Friday to to watch this game, and I would very much like to see what Wake Forest got against Georgia. But moving on, the the second event of this weekend, I will be hustling back from Athens to cover this game, so I've got myself quite a weekend slate to prepare, prepare for. But uh, football. Big in-state rivalry game this weekend against NC State. Last week, another in-state rivalry game, another big four battle. Wake Forest went to Duke and fell apart. Fell apart down the stretch. Uh, played really well for, or really well, but they, they played well for a lot of the game against a good Duke team, but against a third-string quarterback. And then in the fourth quarter, Duke outscored Wake Forest 10 to nothing and won 24-21. Yeah, it was it was one of those games that was just we we were both there in Durham covering that one live. And just, you know, based on what I was seeing on Twitter, you could just tell how gut wrenching the end of that game was to watch for the Wake Forest fans. And to me, the the postgame reactions from the players and the coaches just about said it all. Dave Clawson came in and said, you know, it's not it wasn't like against Florida State where we got outclassed, where we got, you know, beaten off the ball. Dave Clawson said that from scrimmage, he thought that Wake outplayed Duke. I tend to agree with that, which is maybe the more frustrating part. I think they were just, you can point to maybe six or seven plays down the stretch. You've obviously had three major cost penalties um, down the stretch that cost Wake Forest. Then Mitch Griffiths really struggled to hang on to the ball late in the game after playing potentially his best game of the year to that point which makes it even more heartbreaking, really struggled with some, some costly and pretty inexplicable turnovers down the stretch played really well until he didn't. Um, and then everything just kind of went off the rails from there. And 
you can't really script a more heartbreaking way to lose a rivalry game than that to be in control of the game, putting points on the board. Taylor Morin said after the game, you know, that was the best the offense had been clicking in several weeks. You know, he came out and played 50 minutes of good football against a good Duke defense um, and then just couldn't put it away. Kind of kind of a snatch defeat from the jaws of victory type game for Wake Forest. Um, really, really brutal to watch in person. Um, as you know, we, we were saying that you said that Wake Forest had something cooking before that game. I think you were still right about that. I I think they did have something cooking. That was some of the best football I've seen Mitch Griffiths play in a long time. Didn't have a completion until how long nearly, or didn't, didn't have an incompletion rather until what the third quarter. Yeah. Well into the third quarter, it was well into the third quarter. So you get for a while, you get all you can ask for from your quarterback saying, you know, pretty consistent in the pocket, rushing the ball somewhat well, making strong throws over the middle. And then just, undisciplined, costly. Dave Clawson calls them selfish penalties down the stretch that just give the game away for your team. There's no other way to put it. Wake Forest just gave that one away. That's exactly what two captains said that after the game, Taylor Morin and and Malik Mustafa both said that that was essentially the one that got away, that Wake Forest had a win and they handed it to Duke. You mentioned the quarterback play. I agree. I thought that was probably one of the better performances we had seen from Mitch Griffiths up until the fumble where he tried to do a little bit too much, made that, that jumping kind of jumped in the air for the, for the first down and windmilled in the air and the ball came out in the process. And then the interception type fumble where I would call it like an air fumble. Mitch Griffiths went to throw and, and one moment the ball was there. And then the next, it wasn't the, the ball slipped away and was intercepted by Duke. Those two just really tough plays for Mitch Griffiths. Part of me, I don't know the full story, but part of me thinks the weather played a role in it. Um, I think it was cold, but again, still just such, such a disappointing end to what was a promising night for Mitch Griffiths. And then, as you said, the word that I used often uh, on Thursday night, inexplicable plays, decisions from the defense. Aiden Hall, with the personal foul and then a nice little back-to-back from Deshaun Jones with the completely unnecessary pass interference and then another personal foul um, that basically set Duke up in position to kick the game-winning field goal. So uh, a lot to learn from the game. That's one that's going to sting. It clearly stung Wake Forest after. It's probably one that's going to sting in the full complexion of this season, but the, the beauty of football is the party don't stop. Next week, now this week, Wake Forest has a another game, another big game that just for football. I mean, it, you know, Duke's Duke's always a big game. NC State is an even bigger one, and it's at home. Uh, so you got NC State coming to town, and one of the craziest stories that I think comes out of the ACC this season, start with at quarterback through the transfer portal, Brennan Armstrong, doesn't play so hot, and you bring in MJ Morris, a guy who had, had played before for NC State. He does really well, goes, I believe, three and one. And then this week says he's going to redshirt the the rest of this year. It only had four games, those, those I believe, three and one. So he's going to redshirt. And now it's it's right back to where he started with Brennan Armstrong. So Wake Forest is going to be facing a, a new quarterback, one they've played before back when Brennan Armstrong was at Virginia. But interesting times over in your neck of the wood, ben, neck of the woods, Ben, over over in Raleigh. Yeah, uh, you know, this this NC State team has hit a little bit of a heater. You know, they back-to-back wins against Clemson and Miami, very impressive, um, you know, both home games. But, you know, Dave Doran showing he can get it done with this defense despite some inconsistency quarterback play. I really was not anticipating the the MJ Morris news. I think that's that's super interesting. And Brennan Armstrong gets gets sort of another shot to, you know, to make his, his name known here. Um, but yeah, I think this is going to be a game where Wake Forest has their work cut out for them. I think NC State's defense has been strong for most of the year, um, and especially the past couple weeks against obviously a Clemson team that has five star skill at you know all over the field, and against a Miami team that has had some success this year as well. You know, giving up a combined twenty three points to those opponents is no joke. Um, so Wake, like you said, 
gift and a curse. Got to wipe the bad taste out of your mouth from a Thursday night loss to Duke. They've had a couple extra days to do so. They get back on their home turf at 2 p.m. on Saturday, um, ready to face an, an NC State team that has a little bit of a new identity, but um, will be sort of relying on their defense. I, I don't predict that this one will be super high scoring is is my is my take. It's a good point, Ben. Uh, some interesting little tidbits, too, as we get into keys to the game. You mentioned the two o'clock kick on everyone's new favorite channel, the CW. Uh, and, and then you, you add in that factor, just the, the, the wild parts of this, this rivalry NC state somehow just really struggles when they come to a legacy stadium, AKA truest stadium, AKA BB and T field. Um, or it was maybe BB and T stadium. That was before my time, but anyways, the, whatever you want to call it, if you want to call it Groves, whatever you want to call it. Um, NC State really struggles when they come to Winston-Salem. So will this finally be a, a year when they can come out with a win? We will see. But but Ben, let's go ahead. Let's get into keys to the game. Um, Keys to the game. My first one is pretty simple. Just don't let Duke beat you twice. Um, That's the my first one for Wake Forest is, you know, they've, They've had a, this Wake team has had some really tough losses this this year. I do think the Duke one was the toughest out of all of them because at the beginning of the year it looked like a game that was not going to be winnable for Wake Forest. At least I didn't think it was going to be winnable. Then Duke goes through some some injury stuff. They're coming off a real real bad performance against um, Louisville. You know, Wake did some good things against Florida State. Like you said, they were they were cooking something up a little bit had every opportunity to close out that game and win, didn't do it. You know, like I said, it's, I think it's good for this team that they've had a couple extra days to, to wipe the bad taste out of their mouth, but you cannot play with even a thought of that Duke game lingering in your mind or else, you know, history I think is doomed to repeat itself. So I think just focus on the things that Mitch Griffiths did well for three quarters. He got his playmakers the ball in easy crossers over the middle. They, they ran the ball well at different times in that game. Um, you know, the receivers felt more involved to me than they had been in a lot of Wake Forest game this year. Um, had some, had some big, he, you know, hit a deep ball to Taylor Morin, something that we haven't seen a ton of in the passing game. So focus on what Mitch Griffiths and the offense did well and for what the defense, you know, did well for so many quarters and just, you know, write off those penalties as an anomaly. That's not the identity of this team. You know, the, those we re-examine them, we learn from them, but, it's got to be a clean slate come 2 p.m. on Saturday. I agree with you, Ben. I'm, I'm going to do a little bit of cherry picking for my keys to the game. The first kind of what you were talking about and cherry picking on my past self, uh, something that I, I've talked about previously, uh, I believe in, in last week's podcast ahead of Duke was help your quarterback help you win. So as you kind of said, do the things that, that work for Mitch Griffiths, put himself put him in position to help your team. Give him give him some of those quick quick routes, those crossers. Don't ask for for the big plays where where your line has to hold up and the play has to develop. I, I think we saw that a lot against Duke. I think I think Wake did a good job of of helping Mitch Griffiths out and for most of the game that worked. So I think that's big. I'm I'm going to say that again. You got to help Mitch Griffiths help you. So that's big from a quarterback perspective. And then my second thing I'm I'm, I'm going to echo Dave Clawson a little bit. He said he talked a lot about Wake Forest's identity as a football team. And that identity is that Wake Forest wins games when it wins the turnover battle and it doesn't penalize itself. They are one of the, the best teams in the ACC at limiting penalties. And they've historically been one of the best ACC teams at winning the turnover battle. Both of those things did not go the Deeks way in Durham on Thursday night last week. And one could certainly say that those may have been the two most impactful things to, to lead to that loss. And so some of that's, you know, the defense may be getting one. We've kind of talked about it in game when we're just chatting, Ben, about you, you feel like the defense has got to got to bring a, a big time turnover to, to turn the course for Wake Forest. I think some of that is going to fall on them to make a play on a quarterback that's kind of fresh back into the ball game and Brennan Armstrong, but it's just as much on the offense too. You can't have the interceptions. You can't have the fumbles. And then again, you can't have some of those penalties and that's twofold. 
can have the penalties offensively that are getting you behind the sticks because when Wake Forest gets behind the sticks, they are in a world of hurt. They are in a lot of trouble. So the holdings, the the false starts, the delay games, those things cannot happen because that 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 opens a, a Pandora's box of problems for the Wake Forest offense. And then defensively, you can't have the things that happened against Duke happen again. So for me, it's it's the things Wake Forest in order to get back to to what Wake Forest has been in past years, they have to get back to that identity that has had them win games. So limit the turnovers, win the, the turnover battle, and then do not penalize yourselves. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's where Wake has struggled this year a lot is to find their team identity. I think in a lot of their losses, they've sort of just been all over the place. I don't think this year they've really developed a cohesive identity that has allowed them to, you know, pull through and show resolve in difficult situations. And I think, yeah, developing, you know, what better time for, for that to show up than in a, a rivalry game at home against, you know, a, a pretty bitter in-state rival. I'm going to, I'm going to give one more key. And it was something that really was frustrating um, for Wake Forest fans. I could tell during, you know, during the game, and it's going to be execute in short yardage, late down situations. They, Wake Forest struggled so many times against Duke and made, I thought, some pretty questionable play calls on those short yardage plays that just would stall the momentum of, of drives. Um, you know, in third and one, third and two, even fourth and one at times, it seemed like Wake was just really struggling to execute. There was there was one time where Wake ran, I think, on fourth and short and end around with um, Tate Carney and yeah, got just was, absolutely stuffed. Yeah, it was yeah, the they, play they I was thinking about. He ran across horizontally the line instead of getting vertical on fourth and short. It was a weird chunky play where they had two running backs at the back and then ran Tate Carney across the line of scrimmage and it Duke just blew the play up. It, it could not have worked any worse. So that, that was exactly yeah. what I was thinking too, Ben. If you're going to like in my mind for that play specifically, if you're going to run the end around, you know, mix it up and put Keyshawn Williams in the back or in the, in the backfield with Tate Carney and then, you know, keep the defense guessing a little bit, but even so Tate Carney is not on that team to run end arounds. He is on that team and out on that field to get North South and pick up those two yards when you need those two yards. Um, so there were, you know, several times during the new game where I thought it really cost Wake Forest with both the execution. And I think some of the play calling in, in late down short yardage situations, definitely. I think something that will come into play against NC state. I think this game is going to be a dogfight. I think it's going to be low scoring. And I think it's going to come down to who can control the clock with NC state's quarterback who has been up and down this year. And then Mitch Griffiths, who has, you know, shown some good flashes, showed some good flashes against Duke, but has also struggled at times. So I think it's going to, to come down to the intangibles like that. You talk about what it's coming down to. Let's go ahead and put some numbers to it, Ben. Predictions, Wake Forest versus NC State. I'll let you kick it off. Yeah, I've, you know, I've been, I've been back and forth on this one. Um, I think Wake is going to compete. I don't think that they're going to roll over after, you know, suffering a pretty heartbreaking loss. I think there's enough veteran leadership in the locker room on this team that they're not going to quit um, the rest of the year. They're going to still compete and fight in these games. <laughs> that said, though, I just what what Duke showed me is I just think it takes so much to go right for Wake Forest for them to win these closely contested games. And I just until they show me that they can execute down the stretch and, and, you know, pull it out, they did it against Pitt. That was great. But other than that, they've, they've really struggled in, in those situations. So I just, I, I personally just do not think they will have enough in the tank to get it done, um, especially against this NC state defense and an NC state team that has won two big games in a row. They have a lot of momentum right now. So I think it's going to be low scoring again. Um, I think I've got NC state 20 to 10. One thing I'll say, Ben, before I get into my own prediction, I I agree with you wholeheartedly on one thing, and I think that there is a lot of credit that's due for it. For how much of a struggle this season has been, Wake Forest has not rolled over. There has been a lot of fight from the team. Dave Clawson said it. The captains have said it. Other players have said it. This team, when they could have given up, they certainly haven't. And so I think that's admirable. I think they deserve a lot of credit for that. So with, with all that being said, and, and we often critique how this team plays heavily, uh, I believe it's it's deserved. But one thing I will not crit critique is their effort. So I, I, I just Jurgens, you know, 
Michael Jurgens said after the Duke game that the team's going to make a bowl. He got up and made a speech in the locker room saying that the team's going to make a bowl. So just wanted to, you know, interject that point to, to agree with you that, you know, there's, there's, there's no quit in this team, which I think is very admirable for all of the adversity that they've gone through this year. So, yeah, I definitely just wanted to make that known. I think that's one thing that I, I will definitely tip my cap to about this team is that they are, they are fighting tooth and nail to the end, uh, win or loss. With that being said, I'm with you, Ben. I, I struggle with with what I've seen from this football team this year. I'm hard-pressed to pick them to win games. I made that decision for them to win against Duke, and I feel like I was kind of right in that matter. Duke, I mean, rather, Wake Forest did win that game until they didn't. So I am going to pick Wake Forest to lose this game against NC State. I think the Wolfpack are finally going to come into Winston-Salem and, and get one. I also think it's going to be low scoring, but I, I think that NC State offense has just shown a little bit more than Wake Forest offense, uh, and I think that's what it's going to come down to. So I, I'm going to go a little more high scoring than you. I'm going to go 24-21 NC State. Feels like every game we pick is going to be a close game, and I, th- I think that it, that's basically what it is. These are close, hard-fought games for Wake Forest that just aren't coming out out on their end for, for a myriad of reasons. But I, I think NC State's going to come out with this one. But I think it's going to be close, and I could see, I can foresee a situation where Wake Forest wins, especially with their fight. So I will give them that. I'm going to go with NC State, but I'm not writing off Wake Forest in this game. That'll be that'll be all for us on the Boots on the Ground pod. Got a double episode, basketball and football. In it's a big weekend for Wake Forest sports basketball, making the trip down to Athens, Georgia, and then football at home against NC State. We will be covering both of those games, so stay tuned on Twitter with Ben Conroy and I, and also at Blogger So Dear and on our site, bloggersodear.com. But for now, that'll be it on the Boots on the Ground pod. Alongside Ben Conroy, I've been Essex there. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.